0: Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Hurrington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles, please. Welcome. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 12. As we're making our way through the scripture, getting near the end, Luke chapter 12 verse 35, stay dressed for action is the call this morning. (coughs) Stay dressed for action. As Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem in his divine appointment at the cross at Calvary, he is preparing his disciples for the day when he will ascend to heaven and they will need to continue his work without him in earthly form. He informs them that his decision to follow them or their decision to follow him Calls for an uncompromising commitment that is not to be taken lightly. It's to deny oneself and take up our cross and follow Him. It comes at a very high cost, and He is preparing them for that day. Now, in Luke 12, we've been looking and seeing that Jesus pointed out uh, four obstacles to that uncompromising commitment. Four things that obstacles that that can prevent or, or 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 derail the Christian in his discipleship. The first one was hypocrisy, taking on the attitude of, of trying to do works and taking on uh, the job of a Pharisee, legalistic. Uh, many of us are guilty of that. Uh, I mean, if you're, if you're a human, you're going to be guilty of hypocrisy in some form or fashion. We, we're not perfect in that way, but he warns us that hypocrisy is a very large obstacle, obstacle in our commitment to follow Christ, as well as fierce persecution those who are torn away or those who are pulled away or fearful for their life. The Bible calls us not to fear that which can kill the body, but that which can kill the body and the soul, speaking of God himself. The third was covetousness and consumerism, and we looked at that several weeks ago, and we were looking at that desire to have, that desire to consume, and, and that could, that's the cares of the world, the things of this world, and it can derail and keep us off track in our pursuit of those things. Instead, we're to seek the kingdom of God as he tells us that the fourth obstacle is anxiety and worry about material things. Fearful that we may not have what we need. Instead, he calls us to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he says, all these things, the things that you need, the father knows what you need. He says, these things will be given to you if you seek his kingdom. Now as we continue on in today's passage, Jesus is continually talking. This is, is one, one the whole full conversation that's going on. The crowd is around him, but he's speaking mainly to his disciples. Jesus warns that all who follow Christ must adopt an attitude of prepara- of, uh, an attitude of prepara- <laughs> preparation that includes faithfulness and watchfulness for his return. What he's teaching is I am returning and you need to be prepared for that. And that includes faithfulness and watchfulness. So in Luke chapter 12, I hope you have your Bibles because you're going to need it today or at least a tablet or some way of your Bible. In verse 35, the first part of the verse is up here on the screen though. Jesus says to his disciples, stay dressed for action and keep your lamp burning. Father, so as we consider that command, that exhortation, that encouragement, that warning, Father, that you would open up our minds and hearts to the truth, hearing your word. Let them know the difference between my words and just your words, my mere opinions. But Lord, we want to we just shift through and get the truth. And I pray that your spirit would do the work of speaking to our hearts. And Father, we may respond to that work. We thank again for your word and for Luke's a recording of this. In your name we pray. Amen. Now Jesus now is moving to the topic, of, the topic of conversation towards the importance of removing and avoiding obstacles in our commitment to follow Christ. There's going to be these obstacles. You are going to face them. So we as disciples are going to need to learn how to either remove them, avoid them in some way, or deal with them. And in this, he begins with a command that we just read. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. So to understand that phrase, it's not so much speaking of keeping your clothes on and and never getting into your bed clothes. But now picture a first century man. Now, if you remember, they they did not have jackets and coats and pants as we do. They would would have like a a one-piece linen undergarment that they would wear when it was hot. And then they would put on robes and a couple other things on it. So as you can remember, you can remember the pictures of many of the movies and other things you've seen is they would have these long flowing robes. Well, they might have looked nice and kept them warm and kept them decent and kept them cool, but it was very difficult many times to do anything of of any, uh, uh, of any endurance or any action with those. So what that phrase, stay dressed for action, is actually loin up your girds as we see elsewhere mainly in the King James and other portions. What he's saying, just saying dress for is, the, is the, the habit of what they would take the bottom of their robe and they would wrap it up and put it behind their belt or in their sash. In this way then their legs were free to move and they would use this as they did this for work, uh, for traveling or any type of physical activity is they would prepare themselves so they would have freedom of movement. It's a word picture that paints the need for this. And here's a word you may want to write down if you're taking notes. It paints the need for constant readiness. When he says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, Jesus is say, be in the constant uh, attitude and uh, mindset of readiness as we await the return of Christ. His instructions then of how you and I stay dressed for action is going to take the form of three parables that we're going to look at that impress the importance of preparedness, faithfulness, and watchfulness. So we're looking at those three things. So the first one you'll see on the screen is in verses 36 and 38 where he speaks about the watchful and faithful servants. The watchful and faithful servants. Look with me at verse 36 in your Bibles. He says, stay dressed for action and let your lamps be burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding feast so that they may open the door for him at once when he comes and he knocks. Blessed are those whose servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second or the third and watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Now, this parable again paints the picture of a household servant that is waiting and anticipating the master's return from a wedding feast. In those days, it was not uncommon for a wedding feast or a wedding, a wedding party to last more than a week or more. Now, aren't you glad that does not today? Could you imagine spending a whole week in that type of regard? But it was not uncommon for them to last several days, if not a week or a little bit more. It was the duty of the servants of the household to keep everything in order while the master and his family were attending the wedding. And it's also helpful to know and remember that in those days, doors and gates typically didn't have locks and keys or electronic alarm panels. The doors and gates would have a wooden beam that they would keep the door shut from the inside. And you can kind of think of that in old Western or or some type of like that. The door would shut and on the inside there would be a beam or wooden beam or some type of thing that they would put in that door to keep the doors locked and to keep the area, the compound, the house safe. To get in, one would need someone to open the door from the inside to lift up the wooden beam to let you in. Now the owners in those days did not have a pager. They didn't have a phone or other device to give an advance notice to the servants that he was coming. There was no text. Hey, I'm on my way. Open the door. They would not know. They would not know when he was returning. So they would not want to be left, though, outside outside pounding. The worst thing you could do is have the master come home in the middle of the night, and he can't get in his own place, and he's sitting there pounding on the door, hoping to get his servants awake, maybe some distance away, to open the door. So they were to be ready and waiting, looking for him to be coming down the road so that as he approaches the door, they could lift the beam up and open the door. That's what he means, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, ready to let me in my house. So it was the duty of the servants to be waiting, anticipating his arrival in order to open the door and welcome their master home. Jesus knows that the servants who do this, who are staying dressed or staying awake, anticipating, he says, they are blessed. Now, blessed, many times we've used that as a term meaning happy in the Bible, but what it means there, as we see in the Sermon on the Mount and other place, means finding favor upon. So what Jesus is saying is the master is going to look on these servants with favor. And that favor is demonstrated when the master comes home, sees that they have been waiting in anticipation for him and are ready to serve him, that he actually sets them down and serves them. Now on a side note, this is a beautiful picture of the marriage of the lamb. When we, come to, when we, when we finally Christ does return and he brings us to heaven, to paradise, and we have that marriage the lamb where it says that, the, that Jesus will come and serve us. It gives us a picture of Jesus came to seek to save the lost, but he also came to serve. The temptation, though, is for the servant is to become drowsy while waiting for his master or to become lackadaisical or to say, well, we don't know when, I'll just take a quick nap. After much long waiting, it's tempting to fall asleep or to stop watching. Jesus uses the Roman military example of soldiers who were assigned to guard the gates. The second watch, as he's talking about, was from 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. The the third watch is at 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. Both of them are not the watches that you want to have. They're just too late and too early in the morning. They're the most difficult ones to stay awake for. But yet Jesus says they are blessed if he finds them awake, if the master finds them awake. You know, as disciples, we are called to be awake. To be ready for Christ's return. The Apostle John quotes Jesus in Revelation 16, 15, saying, 15 or Blessed God's favor is on the one who stays awake. Keeping his garments on so that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. In our scripture reading earlier by Gary, we read, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. In Luke 21, we'll look at this uh, probably a little bit later next year. Jesus encourages disciples, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all the things that are going to take place, speaking of the end times, and to stand before the Son of Man. So stay dressed for action. Be awake. Be prepared. Be ready. And we do this by putting on the armor of God as we obey the great commandment with the heart of the great, uh, with, or the great commission with the heart of the great commandment. That is our duty. That is what we are to be doing as we await Christ's return. We do this by obeying the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter five, where he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but is wise, making the best use of our time. Because why? The days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So you and I are to be like the watchful, faithful servants, looking and anticipating, waiting patiently for our master return, being stressed or dressed for action, ready to open the door and receive him eagerly. Now, the second parable concerns the watchful and faithful householder. This is the watchful and faithful householder, the one who owns the house, the master. In verse 39, 40, Jesus says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let this house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Again, now this is just common sense, right? If you know someone's going to break in your house, you're going to be ready anticipating them. You're you're not going to leave and leave the house open for them to break into. You're going to secure your house, keeping it safe from robbers. Several times scripture refers to Jesus' return as a what? A thief in the night. Not Not that it meaning that he comes to do harm, but that his appearing is quick and without warning. And so we need to be prepared at all times, that constant readiness. Jesus is teaching us Christians we are to be ready at all times for Christ to come. Just as a homeowner takes safety precautions to guard his home, ready for any intrusion, discipleship requires us to be ready, recognizing that Satan has come to do what? To destroy, to kill, and to murder, to maim. And so you and I need to be understanding that Satan is seeking to destroy your marriage. He's seeking to destroy your family. He's coming to paralyze you and to maim your Christian witness. And so we must be ready at all times, ready to defend our home. Why? Because there's going to be a day when Christ returns, and, and God forbid that, that we have allowed the enemy into our lives at that point. Finding ourselves not obeying the Great Commission with the heart of the Great Commandment. This can be difficult as waiting with anticipation for the coming of Christ is a mystery. I mean, we do not know when he's going to return. It is hard to be a disciple of Christ. Is it not hard to fight sin and continually fight sin? We say fight sin or what sin or be killing sin or sin will be killing you from John Owen. However, that constant battle is tiring. It's easy just to kind of give up for a little bit. It's easy to become distracted with the cares of this world, thinking, you know what, I'm going to take care of my family, my job for a little bit. And then when I'm older and I'm more secure, then I'll consider and be concerned about the things of Christ or maybe dazzled with the things of this world. And we're so busy entertaining ourselves that we never recognize that we've opened the door wide open for the enemy to come into our hearts, that we neglect our duties as Christians. This is why Paul writes to the Christians at Crete, whom he called, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Does anybody know someone like that? If you've got a teenager, you might know. I apologize in advance. I like Mark Twain's thing. And then Sally, you might enjoy this, Mark Twain. He said, when you have a child, what you do is you play with him, you enjoy him. But when they're 12, you put them in a barrel. Or I'm sorry, you, you put them in a barrel uh, with a hole in it. When it and you you not you you nail it all in, when they turn 16, you fill up the hole. That was his that was his view on teenagers. He says about these cretins, these liars, these evil beasts, these lazy guns, he says that they along with us today they are to be training themselves to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And so that's what he's called us to do. That is how we safeguard our house. That is how we keep our, our lives uh, from Satan's clutches in our family and our children's and their hearts. Why? He says because we're waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, as disciples of Christ, we we need to be awake and aware that the days are evil and that we may not be caught up in the sinful practices of the world. It is very easy to find ourselves drifting in that direction. One other obstacle is that of timing. It has been over 2,000 years since Jesus ascended to heaven with the promise from the angel that he will return. And many have come to deny or doubt that he is coming back. The apostle Peter warns in 2 Peter 3, he says that the last days the scoffers will come with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? You say he's coming, but we have been waiting now for some time. Now that we're talking here, it's only been decades since Jesus left. They go on to say, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, life goes on. Where is Christ? We're here waiting. So here we are 2,000 years later. Do we not adopt the same attitude? I mean, how many of you woke up this morning with thought in your mind, today might be the day. Today may be the day that I face jesus christ as he returns for us i think if we're honest many of us never think that except for tiny times when these messages come but we need to remember that we need to be awake staying dressed ready for action why because christ can come at any moment thomas schreider notes and it's here on the monitor for you He says that Jesus coming as the glorious Son of Man cannot be plotted on a definite timeline. And thus disciples must be ready and prepared by doing the will of God. Constant readiness. There is no taking a break in being a Christian. It is not like your job of employment. It's not like playing a sport where you're asking for a timeout where you just want to say, Lord, just let me catch my breath. No, we have to continue dressed, ready to to, to, to bolt into action, to defend our homes, to defend our hearts. Proverbs says, guard your hearts, for from it is the wellspring of life. Peter then asks for a clarification in verse 41 as we continue on in Luke 12. He says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for us all? Well, instead of answering directly, what Jesus had a habit of doing is not answering directly. Jesus implies with this next parable that his warning and encouragement that he is returning applies to both the believer and the unbeliever, which brings us to the third parable, the watchful and faithful servant in authority. So you see that there's a there's a there, there's a movement up there. There's a watchful and faithful servant. So there's the watchful and faithful householder, and now it's the watchful and faithful servant. In authority. Look with me in verse 42. And the Lord said, who that is a faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them a portion of their food and at the proper time. So this is something that would be ordinary. The, 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 the master would give all things to his servant and say, take care of these things. Again, blessed or finding favor is the servant whom the master will find doing so when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. So, again, we see this parable in different ways throughout the Gospels. The master is going away on a journey. He sets his one faithful servant and says, You're the boss. You take care of everything. Everything that I have is yours. Take care of it. And when I return, I want to give you, you're going to give an account to me of how you dealt with my stuff. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, And he begins to beat the male and female servants underneath him and to eat and drink and get drunk. In other words, using it, using the master's supply, the master stuff for his own. He says the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful in verse 47 and that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating so you'll see that there is a day of accounting here but he goes on in verse 49 or 48 excuse me but the one who did not know and did not did, did and did what deserved a beating he will receive a light beating and everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required And from from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. We're talking about the need to be a watchful and faithful servant in authority. This parable paints the picture of a head servant who's in charge of the house and its servants. He is not the master of the house, but he's given great responsibility and privileges. It is his duty to manage the workload among the other servants, making sure that everything is running smoothly and efficiently. This servant would have much power and would give account when his master returns. In this case, we also have a warning about the unfaithful and the wicked man who uses his authority to take advantage of others and abuses his authority to meet his own needs. This reflects the Christian who takes advantages of God's good gifts and grace while neglecting the giver. It's receiving all things from God, but then using it for our own benefit. As the man who takes the, the master's supplies and uses it to eat and drink and make himself merry. It also reflects a disciple who judges and mistreats fellow believers to enrich himself, who abuses and does not love his brothers and sisters in Christ. It is the servant of God who lives as if they will not one day stand before God and get account of their life and works. We've looked at this several weeks ago. Everything that you and I have is a gift from God that we may use it to glorify him and for our own good and for the love of our brothers and sisters, not only in Christ, but in all of our community. God says one day you will be given account of that. How are you using, and we talked about this last, how are you using your money that I have given you? How are you using your energy, your time, your marriage, your children, your employment? All of these things I have given you so that you may represent me here on earth. They view all they have as theirs and they use it for their own pleasure. And before you and I are too harsh on this servant in authority that's wicked, that is not watchful and faithful, you and I many times find ourselves in that same regard. We live our life. As if Jesus is not coming today. Let me ask, would you spend today differently if you knew Christ was coming today? I, I guarantee you would. You know, I remember, <laughs> I think I've told you this story before. I remember an instance when I was young. Uh, I think oh, I, must, I must have been maybe a junior or senior. And uh, my parents were going to Tennessee, that's where my, his parents lived. And so they said, hey, we're going to go. He gives me a little bit of money. And he says, "Use this to, you know, get yourself some groceries and stuff." I was working, so uh, I couldn't go with them that time. They took the brothers, and, you know, my brothers, and they they went, and I went to the store. I went to a convenience store, and I spent all the money he gave me, mainly on chips and soda and. You know, all the things that a teenager is going to need to survive, right? I get home, I'm watching TV, and it's not an hour and a half later. I'm not much far from when I come home from the store. I'm sitting there and I'm eating, and all of a sudden, my mom and dad come into the house. What in the world's going on? I thought you are on your way to Tennessee. That's a 10 to 12-hour trip in those days. Oh, We got to you know, a city about an hour away, and the car broke down, so we had to come back. Oh, okay. Well, luckily the house was not in a mess yet. It was, only, it was only an hour or two hours since he had left. But he goes, well, can I have that money back that I gave you? <laughs> it's sitting in a bag. I'm eating the MMs ms right now, you know? He was going, you already spent the money? Well, Dad, you've been gone an hour. I mean, you gave it to me, right, right? And so, there's an instance where I was not expecting them. I was not ready for them to come home. I had spent... What he'd given me, not really on the things that I really needed, but the things I wanted. And that's very much how we are. We live our lives for our own pleasure. And my concern for you as your elder is that there's some of you that are doing that as well. Or maybe you're just having moments when you're tempted to, you're struggling with that. Jesus is saying this, do not be. Be the watchful, faithful servant in authority. Do not use the things of God for your own pleasure. He has not given you breath to spend it on your own wants and needs and desires. That's not why he's given it to you. We're to use it for his glory. For our good and for the good of others, but for his glory first and foremost. You might recall this, those of you who are Spider-Man fans. With great power comes great responsibility. That's a moral lesson that Peter Parker learned from his Uncle Ben in the comics and the movies of Spider-Man. And one that you and I must learn well, and learn as well. Jesus has rescued us from sin that we might serve him, not ourselves, and our own agenda. We must recognize that we are called to seek the kingdom of God above all else, including our own agenda and our own kingdom. Jesus gives us a few observations about judgment when he returns. And he brings the servant with authority before him to give account. And it seems that there are levels of rewards, so there's rewards, but there's also levels of judgment, of punishment. The servant who abused his authority receives a much higher penalty than the one who did not know what he was supposed to do. He was not given specific instructions. He was just following the instructions of the one ahead of him, above him. The one who does not know is not absolved, Because he knows that he was supposed to serve the master. But God considers their knowledge and responsibility. You see here on the screen Thomas Schreiner once again. And I I just appreciate this man of God. He's a professor at a seminary in Kentucky. Uh, He's just just a great author. Anytime you want to read a a good book uh, on Christian theology or Christian history or Christian life, look up Thomas Schreiner. Everything he writes is excellent. He says, those who do not know God will via the law or by the law are still responsible for the evil they do. They are still aware of God's requirements. But since what is enjoined is not as clearly revealed, they will not be punished as severely as those who have received specific commands. This may reflect those who may never have heard the gospel. Even though they are without excuse because the natural revelation has, has declared who God is, they have never been shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are still responsible for their sin, but it seems that there's going to be a different level of judgment, of punishment for them. This is captured in Romans chapter 2, to verse 12, where he says, For all who have sinned without the law... Will, be, will will also perish without the law. So those who were not given the law of Moses, they're sinful and they will perish. However, all who have sinned under the law, those who were given the law of Moses, will be judged by the law. Have you uh, conformed to the moral laws of God? And we know that all of us have failed. In James 4:17, <coughs> excuse me, the half brother of Jesus writes, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is what? Sin. So if you know that you are to do good to a brother or sister in Christ and you do not do it, it is sin. If you queue up on Netflix or some other type of thing a show that you know is sinful, but yet you continue to watch it, it is sin. In summary, Christians are not to use our liberty and our freedom for sin or fleshly pursuits. And the final judgment will be proportionate as God shows no partiality, but is yet a just, righteous king. So now this passage has both warnings and encouragement for the disciple of Christ today. We are encouraged to be watchful, And faithful. Those are key words watchful and faithful as servants of God, waiting with anticipation the return of Jesus Christ. We are are warned that as disciples of Christ is a called uncompromising commitment to again be watchful and faithful to our duties and responsibilities as we await his return. And I'd like to share three things about Christ's return. What you and I are to know, what we are to do, and what we are to be when it comes to this encouragement uh, of, to be stre- or stay dressed for action, to be watchful, to be faithful, to be in a constant state of readiness. Number one, Christ's return is a surety. It is coming. Yes, it's been 2,000 years, but he is coming. This is what you and I need to know. Christ is returning turn, if you would please to Acts chapter 1 or scroll to it on your phone or your tablet, whatever you might have. The book of Acts is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a companion of the Apostle Paul and he traveled with him during his missionary travels or through most of them. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, Luke records the last moments of Jesus' earthly ministry. So in Acts chapter 1, look at verse 6 with me. So when they had come together, speaking of the disciples, they asked him, "Lords, Jesus, speaking to Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the time or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. But in verse 8, and this is very important. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there right there is the instructions from the master. I am leaving. Here is what you're to be doing. But look at verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and the cloud took him out of their sight. Many times we forget this. We think about the crucifixion, uh, the resurrection and and Christ. But we many times we forget about the ascension. It's an important part of our liturgy of our of Christ's life. And while they were gazing into heaven in verse 10, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him going to heaven. It is a surety. Scripture uses the return of Christ to... (coughs) Excuse me. Scripture uses the return of Christ to encourage believers to stay dressed for action. In Hebrews chapter 10, we read this, it's here on the monitor. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. Again, you're seeing how we're to stay dressed for action, not neglecting to meet together as some, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day draw near. What's the day when Christ returns? So with that, staying dressed for action means that we are to know that we are to be attending church. And I want to encourage you, you need to be attending a a local assembly. You need to attend to your souls. You need to attend to your duties as a servant of Christ. Now I want to give a personal plea, and I know that this may be stepping on some of your toes, but I, I believe it's a word that needs to go out when we think of being at church. Because I think many times when we come to church, we have a uh lack of awareness of just coming. Now this, this, this encouragement, this, this tweet comes from Dan Phillips, but I wholeheartedly agree. He tweeted on December 26th of last year. He says, if your church service begins with God calling you to worship. Do I have that in there? Uh, Did I I neglect to do that? All right. If your church service begins with God calling you to worship as our does come to worship by his word. What does habitual avoidable lateness say about your commitment to Christ? What does it say to your family, your children, your brothers and sisters in Christ in the world when we say, "Hey, let's come, and what, what's our word? Let's, this is our call to worship. Let's bow our heads, prepare, and then we have a word of, word of, of Scripture to bring us. What does it say about our commitment to Christ? How important it is to gather together, to hear from the Master. I want to encourage you is to prepare yourself and be ready. For services. Come with open heart with your Bible, ready to hear the word of God, ready to encourage one another to use your spiritual gifts. Make church attendance a priority. Nothing should stand in the way of attending the gathering of God's people other than illness or sickness or a travel day or something of that nature. And I encourage you, even if you travel, if you're going on vacation, still find a church in the nearby area. Be part of that assembly. Everything that you and I do this morning is intentional. It's planned as we submit to the Lordship of Christ from the call to worship scripture that we use to the songs that we sing to the scripture reading to the pastor's prayer to the preaching of God's word. Everything is intended to bring us to Christ and say, here we are. Let me tell you, when the king calls, the people assemble. I'm reminded of that I love that. I don't know if you ever watched this, but any of you saw, you know, what's the last Marvel one, uh, The Avengers? Affinity uh, Wars? Or no, no. Endgame. Endgame. And one of my favorite scenes to watch every once in a while is that time where it says on your right, on your, or on your left, on your left, Captain, on your left, and all those things come up. Anybody seen it? Am I speaking to people who don't know? Well, all of a sudden, everyone comes. They're in this big battle. It's the end of the world. they got to defeat this guy. And one of my favorite parts is when all of a sudden, uh, uh, um, Captain America is energized by the, the introduction of all of his people who he thought were dead. All of a sudden, come back, ready to fight with him. And he brings in the Thor's hammer, comes in his arm. He brings it back. And what does he say? Avengers symbol. That's what a call of worship is. It's calling Christ's people to assemble, to come before him in worship. So that's just a personal plea. Let the Holy Spirit do with it as he will. Number two, not only is Christ's return a surety, but it's also imminent. This calls us to do something, this is an action. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippi, or, I'm sorry, First Thessalonians chapter 5. We read part of it this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, near the end of your New Testament. Just a small letter. What we see is that you and I are to live in the, expen- in the expectancy of his coming. In our scripture reading earlier, Gary read Paul's words. For you yourselves are fully aware that the door- they, the Lord, will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying this is peace and security then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains comes upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day is no surprise to you like a thief. But in First Thessalonians 5, chapter 12, if we continue, he says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So now we're finding what you and I are to do because the Lord is eminent, is coming like a thief in the night. Be at peace among yourselves in verse 14, verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love. Verse 14, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Remember, this is this is present. This is how we're in constant readiness. This is how we're always to be. He's not talking about talking about a time of prayer and a time of giving thanks or, or a time of just rejoicing. This is the constant state of our attitude and of our heart. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He goes on to say in verse 19: Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecy, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every Form of evil. Why? Because Christ's return is imminent. As disciples of Christ, we are not to be surprised at his return, but dressed for action. That Christ's return is imminent is to say that nothing else needs to be accomplished for him to return. It can come at any moment without notice. We need to live a watchful, faithful servant ready for the master's return. Number three. Christ's return brings judgment. God's return brings judgment. This is a call to be. We are to know that it's a surety. We're to be doing life as it's imminent. And now we are to be. Jesus will return to earth with divine power and glory to judge the living and the dead. In Hebrews 9, 28, we read, So Christ had been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly watching him. So what are we to be? We are to be eagerly waiting for Christ to turn. We need to be waiting with anticipation. We need to be ready for his coming. We need to be sanctified in our lives, working to be more like Christ and freer from sin. Paul writes in Romans 8, we ourselves, who have the firstfruits of, of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our body. I've said this before. We think of God's salvation. We see that we're saved from the power of sin. We're saved from the penalty of sin, then the power of sin. And then one day we'll be saved from the presence of sin. That's what it means that our body groans. In other words, we're, we're tired of the suffering. We grow tired of fighting sin. Our body is is decayed from the moment we are born. And we're waiting for that day when Christ returns and transforms us. We are to be ready. We are to be eager. We are to be faithful. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter three. And I want to thank several men have shared with me that they've been reading with me Philippians three and four this month. Thank you, I appreciate that. In Philippians 3, we are to live in expectancy of his coming, knowing that we will be evaluated by our master. So we need to be ready for that. In Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 17. Paul writes, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And, and let me encourage you, what uh, men and women here and children... The one reason I like us having children with us is so that they can see other men and women who are living the Christian life other than just you. There are many, many times in my life where I have gone to another man and say, hey, can you spend some time with my son? Maybe it was showing them how to do woodworking or something that I wasn't good at, or another man who just comes along and teaches my sons the same things that I believe in. That's what we are to do. That's why we believe at this point in this life of our church, he's calling us to do that. Why? Because we are to encourage one another, we're to imitate one another. Verse 18, he goes on For many of whom I have told you, and now tell you, even with tears, instead of imitating us and walking as examples of Christ, they are now examples of enemies of the cross of Christ. He says, of those, he says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with their mindset on earthly things. He's saying, these people once profess Christ, but really their God is not the God of Scripture, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. No, their God is their belly. They, they do what they want. They, they live life to consume and to satisfy themselves rather than the things of God. And their minds are set on earthly things. Look at verse 20. You may want to highlight or underline this in your Bible. But he says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is my verse that I'm holding on to. Verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Christ's return is a surety. You need to know this. Christ's return is imminent. You need to be doing the things that Christ comes. We, as, as faithful servants, we don't know when he's returning, so we need to be ready by doing what he has called us to do. Obeying the, the great com- uh, commission with the heart of the great commandment is how we, how we have shortened it. But then we need to be. We need to be servants of Christ, understanding that God return, Christ's return brings judgment and evaluation. We need to be ready to give an account. Are you ready for that today? Are you ready to stand before him right this moment and give an account of your heart, the things you think, the things you, are, the things you desire, the things that you've chosen? Or would you like to say, boy, I'd like to have some more time to, to build up some more goodwill with God? And many times that's how you and I live our lives. We need to understand that we need to be stressed for action. With our lamps burning. Waiting for Christ's return. Jesus calls us to be watchful and faithful as we await with anticipation for his return. There are many obstacles that you and I need to overcome in this endeavor. But God promises us in 1 John chapter 5, I believe it's here. For everyone who has been born of God does what? Say it with me. Ready? Everyone, read this with me. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Let us be overcomers. Let us overcome sleep. Let us overcome the temptation to dwaddle or to dally, to, to, to not do what Christ has called us to do. Let's stay awake. Constant readiness is what God has called us to do. Let us commit as individuals and as a body of believers to encourage, to exhort, to train, and rebuke when necessary, that you and I may all be found watching and waiting the return of Christ. Amen? Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. The worship team comes up and Randy for our pastor's prayer. Amen. I just wanted to take a moment for you to, to pause and consider what we the, the return of Christ and Christ's call for us as, as servants to be watchful and ready to be in a state of constant readiness. I want you to consider your own life. Are you ready for Christ's return? Are you, are you ready for it, for it to be now? Are you ready to stand before him? If not, would you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to respond in the way that would please him, that you may be watchful and faithful, prepared for his coming? Maybe would you come and close us in word of prayer? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message.